the bond market or the debt credit market is governor on the system because all of this future money is the future value of the dollar. When interest rates go up, those bond prices go down. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. I am super excited to have the guest today that we have on. It's David Morgan. David, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, thank you again for taking the time and coming to our show. I know you're a popular guy. You have tons of uh, Twitters that, that you're releasing every day. So appreciate you taking the time and coming on. David, in our show, we do things differently. Right? One of the things we talk about is we don't introduce the guest. We usually let the guest tell us their migration story. And from that migration story, we'll tease out your, what you do. So with that said, what is your migration story, David? How did you get to do what you do? Well, it's a long one. I'll try to be somewhat succinct, but I was fascinated by money. I don't know why. But even as a kid, I just wondered, how does the economy work? You know, I mean, how do we get these great big office buildings? You know, who pays for mm-hmm. the roads and the schools? How does this whole thing fit together? I realized that money had a great deal to do with it, but I couldn't fathom it. You know, the only way I needed, knew to accumulate wealth as a 10-year-old kid was savings, right? You get yeah. paid something for some type of activity, job, whatever. And then you save that, and based on that savings, you could buy something. Didn't know about debt, didn't know about credit, didn't know about anything, but was fascinated by it. So when I was 11 years old, I used to get 25 cents a week to keep my room clean. 25 cents a week. Wow. 25 cents okay. a week. So I was only 11 years old, and the coinage changed. It went from silver quarters, which I was getting one a week, to what I call the Johnson slugs. They looked silver-ish, yeah. but they weren't made of silver anymore. And that, to me, struck a note. I thought, what's going on? But none of the adults seemed to care about it. How but back was that? Um, we, we will not guess your age, but how far back that was, was that? Oh, I'm 70 years old. That yeah. happened back in um, 1965. Got it. So I thought about it, but not a whole lot. But I kept on this course of studying about money and economics on my own. And then when I got in eighth grade, I learned about the Constitution and only states could take gold and silver payment of debts. So I raised my hand. Well, that's not true. <laughs> you know? Of course, the teacher couldn't answer my question. So that was kind of my passion. And it evolved into what I'm doing now. I've done several things in the uh, field. I certainly had a, a pretty strong career in the aircraft industry. Mm-hmm. Along with that, I was working for a financial planner. I had a real estate license. I had an insurance license. I uh, never did the Section 7 stockbroker license, but real estate and insurance. So I had a real strong background because I was so passionate about it. But what I discovered early on around the eighth grade level or maybe slightly before was that the system is based on a lie. They're creating something mm-hmm. out of nothing. They're basically printing money. And once I learned that, I, it was a big wake-up call. And I remember talking about the Federal Reserve being a private corporation and just being blown off because this was pre-internet and anybody that had the least bit of outside-the-box thinking was discredited almost immediately. So I went through that, but I just basically followed my gut instincts, my passion. Really, I followed my passion. And my idea was that there used to be sound banking and we should go back to sound banking. 
And if we did that, then we would probably have a better society. And there is a direct correlation. I learned this later, although I think I intuitively understood it, that there's a direct correlation between the honesty of the monetary system and the social morals of the society. So quickly, I've said this in other interviews, but there's a direct relationship between the Roman Empire, starting off in the Silver Denarius, and having a very sound republic where everyone basically got along, had a strong society, and the moral structure was high, to the end of the Roman Empire, where the Senate basically was there to get all they could get while Rome burned, and there was mistrust throughout the social structure. So there is a correlation between being true to your system monetarily and the high moral structure. So, and that's provable beyond Rome, but that's the one most people mm. can relate to. So I uh, did a, a bunch of things, but when the internet came around, I thought, aha, here's my opportunity. And I didn't say I'm going to get into the financial uh, newsletter industry. What I said was, I'm going to build the best research site on silver that exists, just for me, really. And when I was getting my finance, I have to back up a second. When I was getting my finance degree, the professor that had the most clout, she um, invited me to her house to do some wealth planning. She basically was a certified financial planner and wanted me to basically, you know, turn my savings over to her for her management. I didn't do that, oh, but we had a great conversation. And... Of course, I still I was a hard money advocate, basically from age eleven. Although I didn't know it, yeah. only know that looking backwards. So we were in our finance class, and uh, she said to the class, "Well, we have a silver expert in the room." <laughs> Gee, I never thought of myself <laughs> as a silver expert, right? But right. that's how she related. So when the internet came about, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this site, and I did. And someone got on there because I had an email and they said, uh -huh. you know, what's the silver guru do? And I take the silver guru monikers tongue in cheek. I don't, you know, right. pretend to be better than anybody. It's just a catchy name. I use it for an email address. Anyway, he asked what I did. And I said, I write a newsletter. And he said, great. How much is it? And I said, well, geez, I've been in business for about 12 milliseconds. What do I tell this guy? <laughs> you know, okay, 60 bucks. Right. And he said, Okay, and I gave him the details where to mail the check. And I was levitating. You know, I've meditated for a long time, but I was so high, natural high, I was like levitated off my chair. I'm exaggerating, but I was high. Right. And all of a sudden, I had that extreme opposite emotion. I did the one hand and clap. I go, wait a minute. What did I just do? Now you just found I yourself in a job. I'm going to write everything <laughs> I know about the precious metals and right. the resource sector for one year for 60 bucks. That does not sound like early retirement. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was committed. One client or 100,000 clients. Beauty of the, real, of the newsletter business is it scales so easily. Right. You know, you write one report and you can sell to 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, right. whatever. Right. So I had four people at the end of that month. And at the end of the year, I had about 100. So you could do the math. I made about $6,000 my first year in business. Mm -hmm. But I had savings. My wife was working part-time, had low debt, so I was able to accomplish this. So I don't know how much more detail, but it took off from there. And, you know, the first 10 years were a storybook, Cinderella story almost. Silver and gold were the best places to be. Gold went up right. 11 years in a row. I was going all over the world, speaking in different countries, on TV in Singapore and different places, on Canada TV, US TV, wrote books on silver. And 
but I never really let it go to my head. I can say that looking in the eye on the camera. I kind of knew one that all markets go up and down. It's only going to last so long. And I tried to maintain my warrior attitude of control over myself. Mm -hmm. Warrior, real warrior battles their, themselves, not outside forces, although that could come in the hand once again. Right. Regardless, I said, I'm not going to get too high when things are high or too low when things are low. So I've had about a 10-year run from 2000 to 2011, and then from 2011 to 2022, another 11 years. It's been pretty much downhill for most of the precious metals investors, yeah. although I do truly believe that's turned around. So probably a very long introduction, but one more thing I want to make a point of, mm -hmm. and that is so involved in honest money, the hard money movement, whatever you want to call it. So I started becoming a newsletter junkie. So I read every newsletter, subscribed to every one that was out there, from the good to the bad to the, the, the OKs. And so I got a good feel for the industry. And I found out how much it varied. And the price was not a very good determination of information. Usually, if you pay more for a suit or you know, some goods or service, right. usually if you pay more, it's better. In this business, it's not true. So I learned that. So I started to play catch up because I had bought physical gold. I had bought a little bit of silver and I was into the penny stocks quite heavily. Yeah. And I realized after the fact, that's a good way to go broke. So all my friends that were working <laughs> on this overtime, like I was, are driving Corvettes and right. you know, maybe getting their first rental house. And I'm saving, I'm going to make it really big in the gold and silver mining business stocks. And I fell on my butt. And I want to get that out there because a lot of people mm. still are under the misimpression that the way to really make a lot of money in gold and silver is to use the leverage of the mining stocks. That's right. partially true. And then they're geared to the what I call the penny dreadfuls, the penny stocks. And if you want to go broke, that's where you want to go. Yes, you can make large money in a penny stock, but you have to know what you're doing and do it right. So I'm right. done. Thank you for no, the No, David, this is actually there's so many nuggets in there, right? I'm trying to wrap my arm around where, where do I want to poke because I know everything that I start is going to lead into a conversation. So I think the, the thing that I really want to ask is, I think it's an opportune time for that discussion, which is where do you see precious metals play a role in people's portfolio right now, right? Because of course it's a 10-year up and it's a 10-year, 11-year down, right? So going forward, where do you see? And I think maybe we take a little bit back maybe take several back steps as well, because I know I heard it from you directly, what happened to gold between 1925 and now, right? Where it is yeah. now. So how do you see it? If you can wrap our brain around, because of course we don't want our listeners to go crazy on any single investment. Right. Uh, we want to make sure that it's diversified and it's point of view and they're looking at investments correctly. Is it really an investment? Is it really a cash hold? Is it really a storage of money? storage of value, what exactly is gold or precious metals in general? Yeah, excellent question. I would say you can put whatever label on it. I mean, some people call it, most I think that really study gold look at it as wealth preservation. Mm -hmm. But you could call it an investment. You could call it a speculation. I mean, you can buy options on futures. That's obvious in gold. That's obviously a speculation. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking hard money, physical gold coins or something like that, that's a wealth preservation technique. Gold is universally accepted. I mean, even the test pilots or, excuse me, fighter pilots mm -hmm. have in their survival kit a gold coin. And I give them a $100 bill, 
and I'll give them a bunch of yen. They give them a gold coin because no matter where they bail out, it's in Vietnam or Canada or Mexico or wherever, they've got water, food, shelter, and a gold I actually so, did not know that. That's an interesting insight. I actually didn't know that piece of information. Yeah. So the number one idea about investing is diversification. That's probably the first mm-hmm. idea. And the second idea is what is the best mix to own? Right. So you have people that are all precious metals, people that are all biotech, people that are just stocks, people that are just bonds. And of course, mathematical study proves that if you have the right diversification, you're going to do the best in all market conditions right. because life changes. Mm-hmm. So if you do the couple of studies that I'm well acquainted with, the Ibbotson and Associates study, it recommends, or I don't even recommend, it states flat out, black and white, you should have 15% allocation to the precious metals under all conditions. So good times, bad times, horrible times, extremely wonderful times, your portfolio will do the best with that percentage. CPM Group, which is a Wall Street house that specializes in the resource sector, writes a yearbook on almost all the metals, platinum, palladium, gold, silver, copper, they do them all. Jeff did a study from 1968 onward, and believe it or not, it's a big number, bigger than I recommend, that if you had, you needed a 25% weighting to gold from 1968 to present day for the mm. best overall portfolio balance. But I want to back up because I know you do a lot in real estate. And here's yeah. one story that I think your viewers will really like. So way back, I forget what year it was, it was December of 2008 there was a gathering in the yukon called the gata gold rush 21 and at that meeting we had all kinds of people from all over the world talking about gold and what's the gold future look like mm-hmm. well one of the people there was a friend of mine that we didn't know that each other that well but his name is mike maloney now your listeners may not know who that is but it's easy to find it because he's written the bestseller on gold and silver investing above anyone. And he runs the website goldsilver.com. But Mike asked me to breakfast the last day after the event was over, the the day we were leaving. So I had breakfast with him, and he told me he wanted to go into gold and silver business as a dealer, as a bullion Mm -hmm. dealer. And he kind of gave me his dream. And he asked me for advice. And there's only one bit of advice. So no matter how much we love gold and silver, no matter what we believe about it, when you're in the gold and silver business, hedge every transaction you make. Hmm. Don't let your emotions get in front of you. Because if you do, you probably won't stay in business. But if every time you make a sale, you hedge it. So no matter which way the market goes, you're in business. And because of that, you'll make money because you're not betting on a movement in price. Yeah. You're keeping it stable by your hedging. And I know he took that to heart. So what he did on the flight back, which was quite long, was I'm talking to John Emery, a money manager for Sprott, great guy, and we're yakking away about the economy. Mike is writing a letter to Robert Kiyosaki hmm. because Mike realized that the real estate investing community had made a lot of money. They right. were sitting on a great deal of wealth. But he also knew that that turning point was just around the corner. And most real estate investors 
you know, whenever you're winning, it's not you feel good, you have mm -hmm. more money, you're more generous, all those things that go yeah. hand in hand with it. And very few will see the top. Right. Or a lot will just make, and it's a true in the precious metals. I'm not picking on real estate investors, but, you know, real estate never goes down. Well, yes, it does. <laughs> but, yeah, so my weak spot, he was going where the puck isn't, you know? Right. And he wrote this letter, and Robert picked up on it. And Mike started lecturing with Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and started telling all these real estate investors that they were near the top of the market. And even if we're not, these are my words, not his, you should take some profits. And the best place to put it right now is it's in the gold. precious metals. Yeah. And he couldn't have been more correct. Wow. And so he opened up a whole new market, basically, because to get one, let's say, tried and true asset class investment community to move into a different one takes work, convincing, and of course, yeah. you know, and he had those. But I thought it was brilliant because, you know, we in the precious metals community live kind of in an echo chamber. You know, mm. I mean, everyone that's buying gold now, not everyone, but a lot of them are, are already convinced why they should have it. So they're going to buy right. a little bit more, or whatever. But take someone that's a tried and true real estate investor to point out what the gains have been. They're sitting on a bunch of profit. Why mm. not take some of it and put it into an asset class that you've never thought of? And he would do these lectures. And, you know, I've been on the speaking circuit with him. We're friends. And I get, you know, five, six, seven, eight people around my booth, you know, and that's right. You couldn't get near Mike's booth. I mean, it was like five people wow. deep. You know, I didn't count them, but 50, 60 people. And they patiently waited. I mean, the people would wait there for an hour or so just to be able to ask him a question because these real estate people really were hungry. So I really wanted to get that story. It popped in my head on a very brief, pre-interview we had for just a few minutes but i thought man this is the story because no this is actually amazing they loved him i mean can you imagine you're sitting on i'll just make up a number a million dollars in profit and you sell three quarters of it and you buy yeah. gold pretty much at the bottom and you ride that all the way up and mike's i called the top in gold or silver in 2011 and gold wasn't far behind <clears throat> right but so there's two ways to look at it one there's a time to invest in it which is forever just a small portion of your portfolio, it's wealth preservation, no matter how bad the economy gets, it's always mm -hmm. gonna be protecting your wealth. That's one way to look at it. And that's probably the easiest investment. Yeah. The second way to look at it is looking at it the way Mike does, which is cycle theory. There's a cycle to life, there's a cycle to the investment world. And it's sometimes you should be in stocks and sometimes you should be out of stocks. Sometimes you should be in real estate, sometimes you should lower or get out of real right. estate. And same thing in the metals market. So. I'm very long-winded, but I think you enjoyed that story. And I'll say now the summation is we're there again. We're at that point in the Mike Maloney story where people should look at where they're at. And now they're kind of licking their wounds because the real estate market's coming down, the stock mm -hmm. market's coming down, the bond market's coming down, and gold's staying put, basically. It's like it's it started the engine at the start of the Indy 500, and you can hear that yeah. engine roar, but it really hasn't got on the track yet, but it's very close to doing. So I would highly recommend mm -hmm. that people study on their own, make their own investment decisions, but take a good look at the asset class last year that did nothing. Gold year over year basically stayed flat, but yeah. compare that flat wealth preservation to how far down the S&P 500 went what the bond market did, what the real estate on aggregate did. And what mm -hmm. you'll find is all those lost rather significantly and gold didn't. 
So that's yeah. the point. I'm sure I've generated some more questions. But no, I love that I'm point. A, I think... I'm sorry I talked over you. No, that's but right. I'm not a rah-rah, gold solves everyone's problem. It's the only asset class to own and any of that nonsense. You know, It's a reason for owning it, which you've already discussed. There's a reason to maybe increase your percentage for the mm -hmm. reasons we discussed. But it's not a religion that it does become for some people. And that's yeah. unfortunate. But there's probably people that are religious about real estate. I mean, the ones that say it never goes mm -hmm. down, I call them somewhat religious fanatics. <laughs> but anyway, back, back to you. Yeah. I think this actually makes sense, David, what you just mentioned. I think it actually resonates very well with me. I think the message that we've been talking to folks about that no one asset is going to fix all of your problems. In a certain point in time, an asset's going to address an issue that's happening at the macro level. But that does not mean that every asset cycle is going to see a cycle up and down, right? What's going to go up is going to go down, then it's going to come back again up, right? So, but no one can time it, unfortunately, right? So I think that one of the approaches you were talking about is gold is actually an asset like that where if you just consistently keep a portfolio off that, which is 5, 10, 15, I tell people about 10% in gold always. Could it be 15? Could it be 5? I think it's all debatable. 10% sure. is a number that I usually use in gold, and actually precious metals, not just gold, to keep to give you that protection, right? Should certain things happen in the world, you have an option to survive right you have an option to put food on the table because nothing in this world is out of the realms right it's just a matter of is it a 50 percent probability or 100 percent probability everything is a probability game so there's always a likelihood of something happening and i think your one thing that you probably didn't mention now is but you've mentioned it before from 1925 to now the gold has consistently grown about four percent right on an four and a half percent compound and a half percent compound yeah right? so and, if you go from the 1925 price of $20 and 63 cents an ounce. Now it's over 1800. So you have a 90 fold increase, right? 90 times. So what's changed? Well, what's so interesting that ounce of gold remains the same. Yeah, it didn't change at all. It's an absolute 100% constant. Correct. That $20 gold piece back in 1925 is exactly the same as it is today. Yeah. But what changed? The Your amount appreciated. of currency debasement. Yeah. It's not changed. Correct. So I think that's what I like about the having gold in the reserve, right? Because I think sure. people start to compare that, oh, I can make 20% return on real estate. I can make 10x in a stock, which is all good. We're not debating that. That's a different conversation. What we're now saying is that if you start looking at gold as preservation of wealth, it's equivalent to money. It's equivalent to cash that you can use if you needed to, right? So that's one way to look at it. But again, your way is another one. Mike Maloney's way is an amazing way too, that if you actually time it well, it could also serve as an investment. But it's an exactly. also, it's not an and. It's really, what we're basically saying is the crux is the foundation is preservation of wealth. But if you time it well, you may get lucky as well, right? Yep. But if you're consistently buying it, doesn't matter what cycle it is. It's like dollar cost averaging your S&P index or a stock market fund or something like that, it's really just like that. Continue to buy gold, up right. or down, as long as it stays within a portfolio. Don't overweight it. Don't underweight it. Pick a number, 10%, right. 5%, and stay within that realm. You'll be fine. Yeah, I could add on to that. I'll try to be brief, but one of my mentors that I really appreciate is named Harry Brown. He was a libertarian candidate for president of the United mm -hmm. States a couple of times. 
And he wrote a book called The Permanent Portfolio. And it was very basic. It was like bonds, it was stocks, it was precious metals. I think he might add real estate, I'm not sure. So we'll just use stocks, bonds, and precious metals. And what you did is only once a year, you would take a look and you would see, okay, my bonds yeah. did this, my stocks did this, and my metals did that. So anything that was overweighted because prices changed, so let's say you had a really good year in bonds, mm -hmm. so now instead of making up 60% of the portfolio, it made up 70%. So we would sell off that 10% and put it in the area that was weak. Let's say metals were weak that year. Instead of making up 10% of your portfolio, it was down to 5%. Right. So you'd move the profits out of bonds into the metals and rebalance the portfolio only once a year. And right. that thing kicks butt. And it's that simple. It is so funny you say that, right, David? What I always tell folks is stock market goes up and down not because it is supposed to go up and down. It's because it's driven on emotions. Right. And people see Tesla going up, want to jump in Tesla. People see Tesla going down, they want to jump out of Tesla. Right. They're not buying because they have strong fundamentals. They're buying because they want to change the price, buy or sell, because they're basically just price dependent. That's it, nothing else around it. And what your mentor, Harry, told you really is if you just look at it once a year or twice a year, whatever, the fix the number of time, I think the message there is not to look at it hour by hour, day by day, because you're going to make decisions based on emotions. There's just no way around it. But if you pick right. the assets correctly, if you structured your portfolio correctly, you should have bought stuff because the fundament, you believe in the fundamentals, right? So unless those fundamentals right. get shaken up, there's no reason to make trades on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So David, I mean, sometimes being elegant like that, simple and elegant, I mean, especially, you know, for most people, I mean, most people are too busy to sit there and manage their own portfolio. Correct. They take in, this is the information overload age. It's not the information age, it's the information overload. You don't even know what's real information, right. what's fake news, what's, you know, and some of the stuff's delivered, some is, and I don't want to go down that road, but keeping it simple and sincere. And I mean, that's what he did. And it lets you relax because you get the emotion out of it. Once a year, you do scores. Oh, this is outperformed. This right. is underperformed. And you rebalance it. And it's amazing the results on something that's it. And it keeps you calm, right? And it keeps Part of that calm. is it shouldn't be stressful. Be, it shouldn't exactly. be stressful. You're supposed to invest to have a better life. Right. Or forego maybe present day consumption so you can have a nicer retirement or a better car right. later or whatever it Correct. is. And you shouldn't stress about it. No, I agree. I agree. So, David, let's shift gear a little bit, right? Let's talk about the current market right now. So what's happening in gold? Because I think at gold at some point uh, couldn't cross the ceiling of it. it. It went all the way up to 22-ish. I can't remember the exact number. Then it dropped all the way back to 17. And now it's hitting that 1850 ceiling again. So where do you see it going, right? And more importantly, I don't care about the number. It, does it become 1900? Does it become 22? I don't, I mean, I care, but that's less important. But what's more important, what's happening in the macro that's making yeah. it move, right? That's one. And I'll ask a few questions in series because the answer will be combined. But the yep. second is going to be the Bitcoin, right? I mean, there's a whole debate about Bitcoin being gold, gold 2.0, right? And right yep. now I see both of them being correlated. As the gold starting to go up, the Bitcoin's also going up. As the Bitcoin okay. went down, the gold also went down. 
right? Not by the same proportion, but they're Correct. both on the downward trend. So help us understand what's happening in the macro right now, especially with the conversation of Chinese yuan becoming the world currency because the petrodollar may change to petro yuan. There's so much discussion that's happening. The dollar may end up not being the world reserve. Now, will it be there? Will it not be there? I don't think we need to quantificate on that because uh, that's a different conversation. But how does that affect, how does this conversation, that sentiment affect gold and silver? Okay, first broad brush statement that's very important. It's so obvious that people say, oh, I'm wasting my breath. But all markets go from undervalued to fair value to overvalued. Mm -hmm. So that's true in real estate, stocks, bonds, precious metals, baseball, trading cards. So we're in a situation where what's overvalued? Stocks are overvalued. Bonds are overvalued. Mm -hmm. Real estate's overvalued. And what's undervalued? In the theoretical paper price of gold, it's extremely undervalued. How do you determine the true price of gold? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't, but I'll give you my logic. So if you look at M0, base money it's called, because I don't look at gold as anything but money Mm -hmm. or preservation of wealth. It's not multiplying. Gold cannot create interest. You have a gold coin, it's the same ounce, you know, 2023 as it was in 1925. So if you look at the base money supply and you divide it by the amount of gold that there is supposedly in the U.S. Treasury, which is roughly 265 million ounces, if you do that simple arithmetic, gold comes out to $20,000 an ounce. Okay. So that would suggest that gold could go up basically 10 times from here to make it equal to the amount of printing that's gone on for the last many, many years. Now, I want to digress because this is more important to make the point. If you use the same math in 1980, when gold went to 850, mm-hmm. you could have a complete 100% gold cover clause at $400 gold. If you took mm-hmm. the amount of gold in the treasury, which is still about the same 265 million ounces, and he took the dollars that were in circulation, the base money supply came out to 400 an ounce, yet gold went to 850 an ounce. So that's an overvalued market. Remember, I said it went from undervalued yeah. to 35 an ounce, fair value to be 400, and overvalued was 850. Mm-hmm. Well, that suggests that gold could even go above 20,000. I'm not predicting it's going to 20,000. I'm just proving my point. I'm making a case for my point. Yeah, that gold is an undervalued asset relative to the money supply, real estate, bonds, or stocks. So because of that, you're getting a bit of a gift here. Of course, people are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, David. You know, eighteen hundred dollars is a heck of a lot more than three hundred right. when you started your website and told everybody to buy gold." And I wish I would have listened to you then, because I'd be up six hundred percent now. But the truth of the matter is. That gold price at 1800 now is similar to gold being priced at 300 then. Why? Because that's been the increase in the money supply for that last 20 plus years. That's why. Yeah. So how does one think about it, right? So now we're talking about, I know that a lot of money has been printed over the last two years. Over 40% of the entire money supply has been printed in the last two years, right? Now, I also know there's a, there's a whole conversation around tightening that, Right. Now, I don't know if that would mean to take the money supply out of the market. I don't even know if that's even possible or not. So are we saying that the money supply, the M0 stays constant at this point? Or you are now thinking that 
at we're at a point where it's it cannot stay constant it's going to continue to go up yeah that's a great question well traditionally if you study all the great inflations anytime you've been on a non-backed currency they hyperinflated away right so the odds or probability is highly favorable to the fact that we will try the us will try to hyperinflate the debt away however the way the system is set up as much as i'm for you know sound principles the bond market or the debt credit markets however you want to refer to them i like to call it the debt market is a governor on the system because all of this future money which is a bond you know a t bill a t note a t bond is the future value of a dollar when interest rates go up those bond prices go down mm-hmm. so that's highly deflationary so for an example let's say bond market's been I don't want to say decimated, but it's certainly been hit hard. So we're at whatever we are, four and a half, I think, at the federal funds rate. Let's say it doubles. Let's say you get up to 8%. Right. I mean, that would take a lot of money out of the system. So that would be highly deflationary. And what would that do to the base money supply? I'm not sure because base money is basically physical cash. But right. um, nonetheless, it'd have huge repercussions in the real estate market that really be decimated. Mm-hmm. And almost everything's on credit. I mean, most of your big um, conglomerates, your big chain stores and that type of thing, they don't have the savings or the cash flow to right. sustain. They've got to go into the debt markets and say, well, we had a bad year. You know, mm-hmm. we're only down $17 million because it's, a, you know, what is it, a $50 million business. Right. So they go to the bank. They make up the money. They keep playing their employees, expecting a better year. And maybe they come back. But without credit, then the whole system will seize up. This is what, uh, and I like, I don't mind throwing out others' names. You know, whenever you do an interview like this, people stop listening to us and they look up the guy <laughs> we're talking about. But Jim Rickards does a good job about Ice Nine, the Kurt Vonnegut right. story, where this theoretical ice just freezes everything instantly. And he talks mm-hmm. about the debt market or the credit market doing that. And I think it's, a, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's a really good thought right. experiment for the fact of what I just said. If there's a big problem in the credit markets, basically economic activity comes to a standstill. Now, again, I'm not predicting that. I don't think it would, but we have a tendency to take today and project it into tomorrow too often. Right. I'm not a gloomer, I'm not a doomer. I'm a realist. I've studied monetary history, it's my passion. And there are times when we have a contracting economy, which we do, they try to print money to make up for it, and the end result is not good. And people that have precious metals in their possession during those time frames have always done better than people that do not. That's amazing. So I think what we're, if I may distill what you basically mentioned, I think the messaging is we as a consumer, we can't control what happens to the monetary policy. That's out of our realm. Now we can choose to pick the right uh, right leadership. Uh, but that's really where our control really ends. And I, even then, I don't, know, I don't think we have a whole lot of influence on the Fed. So we're given that, what we're now saying is no matter what happens in the economy at the macro level, owning precious metal is a hedge against protecting you from the repercussions of that. You may not be able to excel, but you won't regret not having it. Is that a correct uh, messaging? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, uh, 
you know, legacy wealth, you know, the super rich, uh, what do they invest in? Real estate, art, and gold. Pretty much. You know? Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's not rocket science, you know, real yeah. estate. I mean, the, the expression in Europe, as you probably are well acquainted with, is never sell the mud. Correct. I mean, if you own a city block in, uh, outside of London, you know, the, what's on that block right now is different than what was on that block in the 1800s, I guarantee Of course, it. of course. But if you were still owned that land, the mud that that building sit on, you've got You'd legacy wealth. Yeah. So, David, help us understand how to look at gold and silver, right? Because I think these are the two most commonly, of course, there's platinum, palladium, there's other asset classes as well within precious metals, but the most talked about gold and silver. So give us a perspective on kind of like how to look at these in relation to each other and um, does one affect the other? Okay, first part, I'll answer your last question, and that is how correlated are they? And gold and silver are correlated about 85%. Okay. So there's nothing that correlates anything else except itself. In other words, there's nothing that correlates to gold 100% except gold. Mm-hmm. So, but 85% is a very high correlation, which already answers the subset question. Like, well, gold does good in a deflation and silver only does good in an inflation. And gold does bad during this time and silver does good during the war frame. And no. They're 85% correlated, which means all of the conditions economically, in the physical economy, what's going on geopolitically, all that stuff is factored into the fact that these Mm -hmm. two are highly correlated. So the way I think of gold and silver, I think for most people, is a good analogy. And that is that gold is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and silver is the NASDAQ. So Mm -hmm. when we had the the tech wreck in the NASDAQ, I mean, the NASDAQ went down like 80%. You know, people, oh, stocks for the long term, you know, well, okay. But if you bought this Dow at the top of 1929, you had to wait till after the war ended to break even. Correct. So, I mean, there's no realities that people don't like to talk about. If you had gold during that period, you would have done quite well, but gold was outlawed. So, what did you do? You bought Homestake or Dome Mines. And Homestake went up multiple, multiple times and paid out dividends that were so strong that the last year of owning Homestake, you basically got your downstroke. David, what's your downstroke? I put $10,000 into Homestake. And the last year of operation, I got $10,000 in dividends. Hmm. So that's a bit of an exaggeration. We're getting the idea. Uh, So... So I look at silver as um, more important than gold as far as what its abilities are. But gold only really has one, one or two purposes. Gold's purpose is money or jewelry. And, of course, in the East especially, uh, jewelry is used as money. Yeah. You don't see that in the West, but in the East you could barter with a necklace or a ring you or a, yeah. whatever. So silver now was the monetary standard of the world for quite some time. And we were moved away from that for a gold only standard. And I won't go into the reasons why. But the monetary basis of silver has basically been destroyed. It's been relegated to be a precious, excuse me, an industrial metal only. Mm -hmm. It really is both still. I mean, the 14 Romance languages, the word silver and money are synonymous. It's not gold. 
and money. It's silver mm. equates to money, which is something to think about. But the high-tech society that we live in absolutely requires silver. It's essential. There's no substitute. It must be silver and nothing else. I mean, in a few cases, you could substitute something for silver, but that's usually gold or platinum or palladium, which are much more high cost on a per unit basis. So right. if you had to substitute for silver, would you take something that cost 80 times more to substitute? No, you wouldn't make no. a substitution. You want to find something cheaper. Right. And you can't. And copper is cheaper than silver, and it's a good conductor, but not as good as silver. If you said, oh, I'm going to mm. make my cell phones and not going to use the silver, I'll replace the copper, you'd be out of business instantly, mm. or not within a year, because right. it doesn't have the qualities for conductivity that silver does. So. I think silver is going to become a legacy investment if and only if I'm correct in this assumption, which is going to, it's hard to make now because of how tense the world situation is. But if we continue on the same trends that we have already established for industrial use of silver, solar panels, all anything electronic right. or, or electrical, water purification, medical use, biocide properties, in clothing, the projection would be that we don't have enough silver on an annual basis to fill all those demands. Hmm. So that suggests that we will be starting to run low on silver and start to eat away the above ground stockpiles if Tesla wants to stay in business, if the iPhone still wants to manufacture, if Samsung still wants to be a conglomerate. Those companies will see what's coming at some point and they'll probably move into the silver market and warehouse it just to be able to stay in business and assure price stability or their production lines won't stop. Once that takes place, and this is a conjecture, it's not, well, David said, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's likely to happen at some mm -hmm. point. Then that run has started because if Tesla gets wind of Samsung stockpiling silver, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to stop exact stuff. because they got yeah. Solar City. They've got Teslas to build. Right. They've got, you know, and that would really open the door because very few commodities have a dual demand. Uh, not every commodity has a demand of industrial and monetary. Right. And when you think about the monetary demand, which will go hand in hand with the industrial demand, the monetary demand is infinite. It goes to infinity. Why? Because if you believe that you're in India and the rupee is going to go to zero, or you're in Mexico and the peso's going to zero, or you're in the U.S. and think the dollar's going to zero, what are you mm -hmm. going to do? You are going to run out of your bank and into gold or silver. Correct. Oh, you could run into lumber and you could buy you know, barrels of water, and there's a lot of things you could do. But the majority, they're going to go funny money to real yeah. money as quickly as they possibly can. It's kind of funny when you say that, right? Because most people know the answer that silver and gold is the real money. But then, of course, when everything is going up and everything is hunky-dory, no, no one cares about the real right. money. Let me just get collect more of that fake money. And you talked about one of my mentors, Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, he wrote a whole book about funny fake money, right? Yep. And that's all he's right. trying to talk about is that money in its existence and its reality today is not real. So, David, I know we can, I mean, I can, I love talking to you and hearing this concept, right? Because it can never get old. Because this is what feel, what makes the basis of our show 
that we want to change people's migration patterns, right? Kind of like what they're doing unintentionally, which is working nine to five, investing in stock market, about spine, there's a place for that. As long as you know the real story behind it. And once you know the real story behind it, you cannot not change. The change is going to be obvious. You'll be looking for answers. And once you're looking for answers, the answers will show up. The problem is most of us spend our entire life not looking for answers. We're saying whatever's been served on a plate is the only reality, right? And I think that's what I loved about your conversation because you're bringing the history, you're bringing the concepts, you're bringing the logic, you're bringing what have you seen in your life and in different empires because right now dollars is a reserve. There's no guarantee dollar will be reserved, right? That's right. And what happens around that? So we have to, may not happen in our lifetime or it may. Nobody knows, right? Because it has happened in the past doesn't mean it won't happen again. So I think things like that. So I love that conversation. Thank you again for bringing your insights. But I want to be respectful of your time. So we're coming towards the end of our show. We usually end with two questions. So I'll ask the first question. If you go back to your younger self, your 19, 20-year-old self, what is one insight that you'll share with that person to make their migration in life more intentional? Oh, probably three things. And this is what I've applied pretty much from that age. Number one would be to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And with that, being a lifelong learner is keep open-minded. You know, a parachute only works when it's open. (laughs) Now, you don't want to be so open-minded your brain falls out. (laughs) So you have to use discernment. But that would be one, be a lifelong learner. Number two would be health above wealth. I mean, no matter how much wealth you have, if you don't have your health, you don't have so that would be something that I would tell myself, and I pretty much followed that advice from that mm-hmm. age on. And the last one would be what my dad told me before he died, and that was everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It's not a big statement, and it's not very insightful, but it's that life has its ups, its downs. It's got its joys and its tragedies. It's got its pains and its beauty, and that's all part of the big picture. But in the long run, it's okay. Everything is okay. We're just here as an experience. You know, we're souls that are in this body and a lot of life is what you make it. Maybe that would be the fourth correct. The idea is have a nice day. I almost always say make a nice day because we do not have a lot in our direct control, but we can control our attitude. And anytime you're having a bad day, you could take two deep breaths and say, you know what? Nothing I can do anything about that. The rest of my day is going to be a good one. Now, I love that. Not too many people say. can actually do that, but it can be done. The possibility is there. So thank you. Yeah. I actually went on a bit of a run. I was almost Dude, that, done. This is, this is amazing, David, because I, mean, I love to, especially the last one, right? Because it's kind of, I don't, I don't even know if you did that or not, uh, but I want to share. When, when I said, are we ready to go on live, um, live air, you're probably the first one who actually closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Most people grab their water or, you know, they're like, oh, do I have everything ready? But you actually centered yourself, right? So mm-hmm. can it be done? It can be. I know podcast is not new to you. You've, you've been doing a lot. You, you, this, the concept you're sharing is not something yet you're stressed about because it's second right. nature to you. We actually did it. So I think part of that is just if you make that as a habit, it'll, it'll happen. If you don't make, if you only do it in stressful situations, it'll not, it'll not, it'll not come naturally to you. But if you make it as a habit, it probably will. So thank you for sharing those insights. So the last question, we're going to take a little bit of higher perspective, is in 
what's one wish or desire you may have for humanity to migrate towards? Yeah, that gets to my mission statement. And my mission statement actually doesn't have gold or silver. Mm -hmm. My mission statement is to teach and empower people to understand the benefits of an honest monetary system. Because if we had honest money, we'd have a high moral structure like we talked about at the beginning. Right. And when everyone gets along, or more reasonably, there's less conflict because you have something that's very trusted. Mm -hmm. If you can trust the money, have honest weights and measures, the human interactions are far superior to when everybody's trying to chisel off of everybody else for that extra profit. I mean, there is inflation. There's no doubt about that. But there are instances now, and there are probably were past, it's more prevalent now, that some corporations are taking advantage of this inflation problem. And instead of jacking up the prices on a specific good, they're doubling that because they're going to get away with it. And this gets an inflationary right. spiral going, along with other things. The printing of the money is part of it, of course. So my wish for humanity is to have trust in the system across the board, worldwide. And I think if you have an honest money system and a trusted one, we're more mindful about what our spending habits are. Right. I can't prove that. But I know as a kid, when I had to spend those silver quarters, I thought a little bit more of it than when I had a piece of plastic and I could just buy it now and pay for it later. True. And I think there needs to be something to that coming back to a situation where we're actually in a contracting economy. It's hard for a lot of people to understand, but we are. Global economic physical economy is contracting. All that means is there's less wheat and mm -hmm. there's less you know, rice, and there's less building going on and all that. So I don't want to belabor it too much, but my wish would be for everyone to be happy, joyous, and free. And one way to get the freedom is to have an honest system, an honest money. It doesn't yeah, have right. to be gold and silver, by the way, yeah. although history shows that's the best so far. But just to go one step further, and thanks for letting me have these last few minutes. <clears throat> In the last chapter of my book, The Silver Manifesto, I actually question, do we even need money? You know, keeping open-minded, being a constant learner. Is there a better way for humans to interact? I mean, when you think about it, we're the only species that needs money, right? Yeah. The king of the yeah. jungle doesn't. The ants don't. The you know, gophers and grasshoppers don't. Right. It's only us. So go back and do a quick thought experiment. Go to, let's say, the Native Americans. You know, they ran around with teepees and tents and bows and arrows, and they all seemed to get along just fine. They didn't have any money. So obviously it can happen, the human experience. And I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting we go back to you know, <laughs> hunter-gatherer. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> right. What I'm saying is we, need to, we may need to rethink the system. Perhaps a reset is in order, but on our terms, on the people's right. terms, not on the elite banker terms. Because the elite bankers, in my studied opinion, are really the, the root cause of almost all of our problems. Yeah. You ask people what their yeah. underlying fear is, it has to do with money. People that have a lot of it, fear losing it. People that don't have enough of it, fear not having enough. Right. People that are in the middle, they're still fearful of it. Is it going to inflate away? Is it going to deflate away? What if I lose my job? What if I 
So money plays a factor in our lives that transcends everything. And that's too bad in a way. When you're on a sound money system, you don't have those worries as much because the, the playing field's level for everyone. And you know a dollar 30 years from now will be equal to or better than the dollar today. So you don't really need financial planning. That gold is going to buy you the same amount of goods and services in 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. Right. And that's peace of mind. Because if you want your savings to work, you want it to work. You don't want to have to stress about, well, the inflation rate's 7%, and I'm only going to 4% of my T-bill, so how do I make up the other 3%? All the stuff that goes on today. I would love to have you back on. I think this is needed. This conversation is needed, right? And the real, from somebody who's actually been in the market, has seen several cycles, have been thinking about money, thinking about sound principles of money. So I really appreciate you sharing your insights. Audio, most of video. So you get all that information for free. We do have a paid service. Um, our team specializes in the resource sector. So it's not just silver. It's mm -hmm. gold, platinum, lithium, copper. We're the first in rare earth elements. We talked about um, cobalt before it was popular. So we look at all the minerals. I do feature energy from time to time. And the editorial is written by yours truly. And every month for the last 24 years, I take a blank sheet of paper and I ask one question. How can I serve my members the best? Mm -hmm. And then I start writing. That's the editorial. So awesome. I, I'm still passionate about it after all these years. It's been good times and bad times. <laughs> but I'm still having fun. I still feel good. And I really am on board with my mission statement. I really would love to see honesty from the top down and bottom up for all of humanity. If we had that, I think we could do away with a lot of the ills that plague us today. Well, there's only one way to do it. We'll change a few listeners at a time. Very good. Wait, thank you again, David. Appreciate it, buddy. You're welcome. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.